You are going to want to tune into our episode today. I talked to Trisha Dietig, and she talks all about working on social skills virtually with students with autism. And if you are working on social skills virtually, this is an episode that has really great information about how do we get our students to engage when we're seeing them through teletherapy? How do we work on these skills in this virtual setting that a lot of us have been thrown into? So if you are working with students and you want some tips and strategies on how to get your students engaged, how to make therapy fun and functional, and how to work on those social skills virtually, you're going to want to tune in. Let's cue that music. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks for joining us on episode five of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students with autism. Today, we have Trisha Dietig. (laughs) I wanted to get that right. Thanks for joining us, Trisha. It is so nice to virtually meet you. I know that we've connected on Instagram because you tend to work with students who are in middle school. Is that correct? Yeah. Thank you for having me. I work with sixth through eighth graders. Oh, okay. That's a big bulk of my caseload too. So anytime I see somebody who's working with older students, I always want to like connect with that person because I feel like there's not a lot of people out there in the space that we're in as far as speech therapists who are bloggers. So I'm always looking to connect with people who are also working with, you know, older students because that's a real passion of mine. So yeah, I agree. there's like a small group of us. Yes, very here. small. I know you work with older students and you have a focus on social skills and helping students increase their social skills. Was there one moment that stands out for you as far as where you felt passionate about working on social skills? Because I know you have a Teachers Pay Teacher store and you have a blog and all those things. So was was there one client or one moment where you felt like, oh, this is something I'm really passionate about? Was there like an aha moment or just kind of your career moved in that direction? I've always been drawn to students with autism. I don't know if it's because when I was in high school, one of my nieces was diagnosed with autism, but I feel like I've always been able to connect with those students and just work really well together. And I don't know, I just really enjoy that population. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you could see that personal tie and how important that is. And definitely social skills, especially with what's going on now, that's so important. That's actually my next question. Are you seeing students, so if you're listening, this um, episode is coming out during COVID, are you seeing students virtually or hybrid or kind of what has been the model for, um, because that's a whole other layer, right, with social skills. So how are you, how have you been seeing students um, on your caseload? So this school year has been completely remote for me. So I've only seen my students virtually. I know when we go back in January, we're going to try the hybrid model, but that could change too. As we know, things change (laughs) by the minute. Okay. Yeah. And so that's been really hard. So you've been virtual this whole time. Wow. Yeah. What platform are you using for virtual? Are you using like the same platform for all the students? Yeah. So this year we're using Zoom. I know in the spring we used Google Meet, which was a little bit more challenging or 
tough to interact with the students, but I really liked using Zoom this year. Yeah, I have found uh, Zoom to be when everything kind of started, it was hard for me because, well, I was working in a district where I think I was using Google Meet and I was also using Zoom. But Zoom is really nice because you can share your screen and you can do different things with Zoom. I feel like it's easier to navigate, don't you think? I agree. And I know with Google Meet, you almost have to have like all these tabs and windows open and I I know with Zoom, it's an additional window, but it just seems more seamless with Zoom. Absolutely. So I know you're working on social skills and that's what we're going to talk about today. So I would assume that you're able to see some students in a small group. Is that true? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I feel like it's mostly groups of two to three at a time. That's perfect. Awesome. Um, So yeah, so I know a lot of people are really struggling with that component of how do we target social skills virtually? And I'm really excited for you to just share with us, you know, what have you been working on? Are there resources that have been helpful? How have you been working on that? And kind of how do we translate our therapy to teletherapy? Because we know this isn't going to go anytime soon. So even if you're listening to this at a different time, I feel like there's still going to be a lot of students who are choosing to go virtual, even if if going in person is something that they can do. So talk to us about what you're using for social skill instruction and how that's been going with your caseload. Yeah. And I would agree with like people choosing to stay virtual, even if given the option. I know with this population, I feel like these students are almost thriving over teletherapy or remote learning. I know that's not the case for all students, but I feel like you're removing those social distractions from Like when they're in school face-to-face, they have all this extra stimuli and social pressure where now that's kind of removed. So I think these students are thriving academically, but I think we're still going to see that decline or regression with social skills. I know for me, I try to spend like five to 10 minutes really discussing the area we're focused on because there are so many distractions with them being at home. And I know cameras aren't always on because of laggy internet or poor internet connection. So I feel like I'm not always seeing them. I'm hearing them, but I'm not seeing them. So I try to keep my instruction really explicit and to the point because we they are so distracted by their phones and their video games. So we usually spend like the first five to 10 minutes like going over the outline of the session and focusing on a certain skill, like whether that be how to create small talk or how to maintain a conversation. And then from there, we practice that skill after we've talked about it, probably for another like five, 10 minutes. And then I always try to embed like a couple games in my sessions because games just naturally give social interaction skills and provide that environment. But I like to throw in some targets throughout the game too, because I feel like with a game, they don't always realize they are working on a specific skill, even if we're trying to blend it in with the game. Well, and that's what can be so hard about middle school. I mean, knock on wood, wherever that is, I am actually very fortunate to have students who are very cooperative. I think in my almost 20 years, I've only had to have a meeting one time with a family and the principal about about somebody who is dodging me for therapy, which being a middle school and high school therapist, I would say that's a pretty good running track record, which I'm probably going to ruin here soon because I'm talking (laughs) about it. But I do think it's hard for students who are really struggling to, to work on social skills. I mean, it can be hard for them to show up and just logistically, you know, are, so are you, are your students, do you send reminder emails? I guess I'm wondering really quickly logistically, because I 
think people listening would benefit from hearing about, you know, just your setup. Like, do people just know this is the time? Do they get a reminder? Like, how does that work on on your end as far as logistics? Yeah, totally. I feel like my students are really good about showing up. Um, We use Google Hangout chat that's through their Gmail account. And they're very good. If I don't send them a reminder in the chat, they will actually message me first and say, wait, do we have speech today? And then I'll respond, no, it's this day. And I also have Google Calendar alerts sent to them. So I feel like I either see them like one or the same day every week or a similar time. So they kind of know and they're ready for it. Oh, that's great. So on Google Calendar, you can set up an alert. I don't even do that myself. I think I need to do that. (laughs) That's something you can do like on the invitation that they get an alert each week. Settings, you can turn on notifications. And I think I have it to send them an email like 10 minutes before. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you. Because I hope a lot of people are here. Guys, I've been doing this for almost a year now, just learning something new. That's why I had you on, Trisha. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because sometimes it's just hard. And you know, you it's just the schedule. Like you said, like sometimes you may have a meeting. That's like being very much a school-based therapist. It's just hard because you want to keep everything consistent. But sometimes you have a meeting or something happens, you need to change it. Okay, I'm going to write that little note down for you. So for myself, that's a really good reminder. I love the idea of, so you have a skill and you're you're giving them an example of talking about it and then modeling the skill and then you are practicing it. I think that's really cool. So you said that you're also, how are you setting expectations? I guess that's one thing I'm wondering too for virtual sessions because, you know, there are a lot of different expectations. Like you talked about, sometimes the kids aren't turning their cameras on. And I know we've had some discussion, well, you know, should we make the kids turn their cameras on? And, you know, every student is going to have individual needs. Maybe somebody doesn't want to turn their camera on, or maybe for that particular student, you're not going to make them as long as they're engaged. So can you talk with us a little bit about that virtual world and kind of setting up those kind of behavioral expectations and how you're kind of getting everybody to be, you know, on board, engaged and showing up and things like that? Yeah. So in the beginning of the session, I'm pretty explicit. I'll tell them everything we're doing. I'll give them a rundown and I'll say, if we can get through all of these things, then we will play such and such game. I know they really like playing among us and I'll play with them at the end sometimes, but that's like our ultimate reward. Like the last five minutes, we'll all play together. I know for myself personally, I don't expect the camera to be on just because I know I've had a lot of internet issues when they do have their camera on. So that's not a huge deal for me personally. As long as they're participating and responding, I think that's kind of my expectation for the group. I know that if they are working on like a specific goal area, I'll keep reiterating like, okay, you need to initiate a topic five times before you leave today. And then I'll kind of like give them reminders throughout. I'll put it in the chat just so they can have a visual too. So just constantly reminding them what they're working on and what their expectations are throughout the session. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, so maybe putting... So if you have a group session, you're saying that you are potentially putting something in the chat for that. Are you putting in the chat for... But you're using chat with just that particular student maybe to remind them of what they're doing or do you have a group chat when you are doing the social skills? Because you said you're using Zoom, right? But you're using Google chat because they can use that through their accounts, right? For school? Yeah. During the session, I just use the Zoom chat because you have the option to send a message to everyone or to a specific 
student privately. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea as a reminder, maybe to particular students, like this is what your goal is and let's remember. Okay. Yeah, I like that idea because that that's just one way of we always talk about being able to fade our level of prompting. And so for students, when I'm running social skills groups, and I, I don't know if I'm running any right now like this that potentially, and I'm sure you have students like this too, where they're working on social skills and it's something that they definitely can do, but they might just need a reminder about it. So I'm always thinking to myself, how can I fade that level of prompting? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to verbally say like, okay, remember, we're talking about having a conversation today, you know, and all those different things or make a comment that you can maybe put it in the chat. And has that been a, a helpful way to prompt students to engage in the lessons too? I would say so. I think just them having an ultimate goal that they're working for is really helpful given all the distractions around them too. I think they just need that reminder. Right. Helpful. Yeah, that's a good idea. And I like how you talked about small talk. I actually used to have a little decoration up in my office. I mean, when I say decoration, you wouldn't want to see my office. It's definitely not Instagram worthy because I feel like at that age, you know, you know, it doesn't say I'm the speech therapist on there, right? It's very discreet. It's like very much a business type office. But I had something that said small talk. And it said sometimes when we're engaging in small talk, we bring up a topic, we can answer a question, we can ask a question, we can make a comment. And I talked about how that really had implications for vocational training and competitive employment and all those different types of things. Because I don't know, we live in different states, but I know here in Ohio, when a student turns 14, then by law, we have to, and it's a great idea, and we start to do it as a team anyway, but we have to have a transition piece on the IP, which is really great. Because I think for students who maybe are completely on grade level academically, which it sounds like some of your students are like that, as are mine but are maybe just having some social barriers when they're in the classroom and things like that, that it's really good for students to understand, this is why you're here. This is what we're working on. So do you talk about those different types of things in your sessions too? Oh yeah, especially with the eighth grade students moving on to high school. I stress the importance of knowing how to communicate with someone you're not interested in talking to or how to talk to new people because you're going to a new school next year and you really need to know these skills and how to interact interact with others that are not familiar to you. Absolutely. You know, something I went over in one of my sessions last week was from uh, Michelle Garcia Winner's work, and it's called The Social Fake. And I really love this idea of pretending that we are interested in something because I tried to... I mean, I needed that lesson when I was in middle school, right? As a, as a typically developing person, I think that we kind of meet adults sometimes that need that reminder. But I mean, this happens to us all the time as adults. Right, somebody starts talking about something and you're not interested, but you pretend and you ask questions and you make comments because we know that it's socially acceptable to to do those things, especially if you're in a place of work. I always frame it that way, where you know when we have competitive employment, that you know we may come into the building and we're going to have people that we obviously want to talk to because we're friends with them, we work with them, we have a lot in common with them. But then we're also going to have interactions with people that maybe we don't have a lot in common with, or maybe somebody who likes to talk about stuff that we don't, but that we have to 
that social fake, I think, really encompasses that whole idea of pretending to be kind of interested in something just because it's slightly socially acceptable. And maybe that's something that's going to be important for a work environment. And so do you ever frame it that way where you're talking about how are these social skills going to help them as they become an adult and as they get older? Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to reiterate that their ultimate goal is for us as a team is we want them to be successful in the workplace and we want them to have success after they leave middle school and high school. So yeah, Yeah. a really important message. Absolutely. I think one of the things too for social skills, when you're providing that virtually, what I've told some of the students, you know, you might be on this IEP or you might be, we might be targeting goals that really you're not really even in all these different situations where potentially you may be having some barriers to socializing with others or just those different types of things. So do you have students like that where maybe Maybe you had some goals that were set or you're working on some things, but the environment has changed so much. Like you said, you have some students who are really thriving. I feel exactly the same way. And where I've been kind of doing some hybrid, some in-person, some remote, it's been very just up and down. Every individual case has been so different. I think that's been hard from a scheduling standpoint. But some of the situations and some of the environments that our students would typically be completely immersed in are just not even there this year. And you've been completely completely remote all year. So that's probably been really different for you too, right? Oh, yeah. And it's funny that you say that you're seeing different goal areas shift or change because even the day leading into break, I had one student where I just threw out like a random goal area to him. I was like, oh, okay, we're going to try initiating a conversation and commenting on what a group member has said. Let's try holiday break or let's try winter sports. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not doing this. I'd rather leave than do this. Where in the past, this is something he would have done seamlessly without a fight. So I feel like given the remote learning environment, I think we're seeing a lot of ups and downs with social skills. I know this population tends to do better academically when distractions are removed, but I think we're going to see a lot of shifts in their social skills. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just across the board for everybody, really. Like even just people that have really been following very strict COVID policies, I feel like if you haven't been out and about and you haven't been talking to other people that even if you don't have a social pragmatic disorder, that I think that it might feel uncomfortable to you to be out and about navigating the world. And I think that we're going to see a lot of different things that are going to come out of, you know, 2020 as far as people having anxiety around different social situations because we're really not in them. Even if some students here in Ohio are attending class, some districts are completely back, like every day people are wearing masks and then Mm -hmm. other districts might have lower student ratios. So some students might just go a portion of the day and there might be less students in a class. So it's really changing the dynamic and potentially the the social situations that may arise for our students. So you're seeing you're seeing a lot of that too, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's been different. So talk to me about some things you mentioned among us. What are some other things that are motivating for your students? And among us, will you just describe exactly what that is? Because I think people that are listening might have even heard that or are not sure about it, but it's really popular right now. But that and and what are some other things that are really fun for your students to engage in with therapy? 
I feel like any type of game they're just naturally drawn to, whether it be Connect Four or even, I don't know if you've heard of Bamboozle. Um, I heard I have heard of that, but what is it? Will you tell us what Bamboozle is? I don't know what that is. I've seen it somewhere, but I don't know what it is. I've never played it. It's been a hit with all of my middle school students. I highly recommend checking it out. Um, You do have to create an account, but it's free to sign up and it's free to make your own games. So it reminds me a little bit of Jeopardy. Um, There's like a board on your screen and you can pick how many numbers you want to be visible to your students. I usually do 26. So one through 26 will be listed on the screen. And then you do teams. You can either do groups of students for a team. I just do the individual student is one team because the groups are like two to three kids at a time. And when it's their turn, they just pick a number from the screen and you select it. And then a question comes up. There's a lot of pre-made games on Bamboozle, a lot of good ones to choose from. I've been making my own on there. I don't know if I have the codes, but I could send those to you later. Yeah. Um, Maybe we'll just include that in the show notes too. So you get on, you have to, you have to have a username and a password, but it's mm-hmm. free. And you, there are, it sounds like Kahoot, but it's different. Have you played Kahoot before? It's like, I would say it's a mix of Kahoot and Jeopardy. Okay. Okay. So then there are, and so then there's different categories. Is it categories like Jeopardy? And then you decide which question you're going to choose. It's just random numbers on the screen, like one through 26. And then you can put whatever prompts you want. Like for my social, social groups, a lot of the times I'll put like initiate a conversation about winter holidays and comment on something another group member said, or I'll put another one in there, like name one thing about everyone in the group. And then Bamboozle will throw in some, some of the numbers will be like, oh, lose 25 points, swap points. So there's some twists thrown in there as well. Okay. So that's nice. So you can definitely choose like maybe a game that somebody's already come up with, but then if you want to target specific skills, you could personalize it to potentially the the goals that your students are working on. Yeah, I think so. Oh, it's that's fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be a way to keep them engaged and... That sounds really fun. So you're working on their skills, but it's within a game. And that's always popular for middle school to do something that we... I always say that. Let's make therapy fun and functional, right? We want to make sure that we're working on what we're supposed to be working on and what's important for the student. But we want to do it in a way that's fun. So bamboozle. Okay, that's cool. I know I've heard of that before and I've seen it online, but I have never played it before. I was playing with some of my students. I was playing Kahoot. And if you're listening, Kahoot is also... I think it's free. There are... Are, you put in a code and then everybody in the class can answer the question. And I've had some really fun times making very personalized cahoots. If we were talking about music and doing, you can get YouTube clips and upload them. You can be as creative as you want, or you can just search and you can use other templates that people have chosen. So that's a really nice way to do it. So that game, and then you said Among Us is fun. And then anything else that kind of sticks in your brain that is motivating for your students? Connect Four is always a hit. And then I created a Blockus game. I don't know if you've ever played Blockus in person. It's kind of like Tetris, but a little bit different. So I created a digital version of that, where when they remove a game piece, there's like a pragmatic 
problem solving prompt underneath the pieces. Um, so we're not only playing, we're also targeting some goal areas. Oh, I know that's fun. Ultimate SLP, they have a lot of good pragmatic prompts that they throw in with their games or that's an option. Oh yeah, I've heard of that too. It's like a membership. That mm-hmm. sounds really fun. Yeah, just to kind of keep students motivated and keep them working on their skills. Are you playing Connect Four virtually? Is that something that's out in the world that's virtual? I haven't done that. If you just search for Connect Four template, there will be like a Google drawing template that comes up and you can just share it with your students. Oh. They can drag and drop the pieces themselves. Oh, that's fun. And I think that would probably be easier on Zoom, don't you think? Just the way that that platform is set up so you can screen share and do it that way. Google Meet is just a little harder. Sometimes what I do is I have a second monitor and when I'm doing all day teletherapy, I may like have that other monitor up and mute it so that I can see the student. Because what happens on Google Meet if you're listening and you haven't used that is that it's just harder to see the student. So if I want to share a material and I say, oh, you know, we're going to talk about these pictures today or we're going to talk about this these picture scenes and I share it with the student, then I usually cannot see the student. So, and that can be hard in middle school because you want to make sure that the students are engaged, especially if they have their camera on. You're really not sure. I've definitely had a parent say before, so-and-so is not listening to you because, you know, I don't know. I cannot see the students. So I'm just assuming, right, right, if they're verbally participating and they're kind of hanging with me in the lesson, that that's really, really important resource. So it sounds like you make up a lot, which I am the same. And that's probably how we have connected over on Instagram. But it sounds like you make up a lot of your own materials and are not using... Are you using any resources that are like books or subscriptions for social skills? Are you just making things up based on your students' needs and what they need to work on? I feel like over the years, I've just created my own resources for pragmatic problem solving or just initiating conversation. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's always been difficult to find appropriate resources for this age group. I know it's gotten a lot better in recent years, but the whole reason I started my store is because I was having a hard time finding resources and I just love designing and being creative and my students have enjoyed what I've come up with. So (laughs) I'm just going to keep doing that, I guess. Well, that's what's not... I mean, absolutely. That's why I, I have a physical product called Double Up that is more of a vocabulary and matching type game. But I definitely created that and I have a vocational binder because because I felt like a lot of the resources that for students that were middle school, high school, older were, I was having to blow the dust off. And it was like, okay, these materials are looking very old. We don't use phones that look like that anymore. We don't have a cassette player anymore. Is that, yeah, you were having that same situation. I think that happens with speech therapy materials. It's you have them and someone retires and then you feel like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to throw this away. feels you feel guilty but right. we definitely have tried to modify and i really think when you're at this age level what i have found is that if i'm working on social skills and pragmatics i definitely tend to 
make my own materials and kind of just pull from what's really important for that student because it's so individualized. And that it is, you can't, it's not cookie cutter because every single student is going to have their own barriers and what they're working on and things like that. It's just hard. You can't make prefabricated. I think that's why I like working with older students. So it is just, to me, it's a tad bit easier because you don't have to have a ton of materials because if I'm working with students on things that are vocabulary and enrichment and things like that, I would be using materials from their classroom, which... I don't have to create anything for that. It's already there. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it is easier. Definitely. Okay. So those are some really, really good ideas about social skills. I loved your idea about, you know, setting up the expectation. It seems like you have a really good rapport with your students and you're tech savvy. So you know how to send Google reminders. That was, I knew I started this podcast so I could just, you know, learn all these really great tips. That's (laughs) really going to save me, Trisha. Thank you. And using games that are motivating for your students, because at that age level, we definitely want to build rapport with our students and we want to make speech therapy be something that they are wanting to engage in. Because I remember back in seventh grade when the history teacher called my parent to say that I had a bad attitude in class because that's the age where that all happens, especially with so much that's happening right now and how every student is going to be dealing with that um, virtually. So if there was, you know, what what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to another professional or a parent or maybe a speech therapy student who's in graduate school about working with students with autism or about working with students who have social skills goals? I feel like just trying your best to connect with them, not so much on a personal level, but just connect with something they're interested in and try to build that rapport. I think especially now more than ever, they just need someone they can trust and connect with and be able to talk to on a weekly basis. So I think if you could just be that person where they're comfortable and they want to come talk with you and they know that you're someone they can trust, I think that's really important when working with students with autism. I love that. Yes, absolutely. Really, really great. Thanks for joining us today. So where can people find you? Let us know if people wanted to check out your TPT store or your website. Can you tell us where people can find you? So my website is Trisha Dedig SLP. I don't even know. What is my website? <laughs> I think it's Trisha Dedig SLP.com. Spot. <laughs> I would say... If you want my most up-to-date blog posts and resources, I would say Instagram is the best bet. And that is DDIG dialect. I love sharing ideas on Instagram and connecting with other SLPs through that medium. Yes, it is fun over there. Awesome. Great. (laughs) Well, it's been great to get to know you better. And remember, everybody, to keep things fun and functional. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.